This is Fintech Unplugged with Suresh Vajani and me, Robert Cornish. We're here again for another episode. I know. Just me, you and an empty bin. The weather. It the weather. It is really bad. I know. Yeah. We should be in a better location. Why can't we go to the sunshine? Where would Somewhere be sunny? Like, like Spain. Spain. Or, yeah. yeah. But they don't speak English. Gibraltar. They speak English out there. We could have a... Why don't we catch up with, oh God, the trans people? You know, Robert, don't talk about your weekend. Okay, okay, okay. What's the name? There's a. Oh. No, actually, there is an issue there. Yeah. And it kept changing its name. Ah. I think there was American influence there. Uh, yeah, the Bancor. But what are they called now? Transact Payments. Transact Payments, yeah. And who's, who's the main guy there? He's over there. Grab him. Okay. Kriya. 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 Can you, uh, can you come over here? Sure. What's up? How you doing, guys? Well, we're good. So we don't want to talk about the weather because we don't want you to make us. Oh, jealous. you should talk about the weather. I can't believe that it's, you know you've dragged me all the way over here to the UK and it's ten degrees less. I was in my shorts, enjoying the the climate. We out just there. don't want to hear that, Korea. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, why do you take the lifestyle away from me and bring me into this rain, cold, and regarding the clothing? That's how Robert dresses on a normal day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell us a bit of history about Transact. Sure, sure. So Transact is over 10 years old and was originally founded by an American and a German guy who came out of the gaming sector, hence why it's based in Gibraltar. Over the years, it's gone through a few changes of ownership. Uh, was owned by a US bank called the Bank Corp. And in April last year, was sold into private investors and a company called Neptune International. But in terms of the services and the products and the people, it's been consistent pretty much throughout. You know, you have a few people come and go, but I've been working with the company since 2010. Started off on the eight sales, years, yeah, wow, sales operations and marketing side, and now I have the privilege of managing the company. So, oh, oh good. wow, you know, there's, there was obviously somebody who made a mistake there, and, uh, <laughs> and and you know, I'm taking advantage of it, and long may it last. <laughs> and Kriya, what I'm keen to hear because you know. Obviously, this has been a particular pain point for me, and I'm sure it's been for you, is that how many people call you Suresh? Because I can tell you there's many people that call me Kriya. Well, you know, that's a compliment. You should take that well. Yeah? <laughs> I'm the better looking half of that combination, but, uh, but you're, the, you're the more famous one. So I get asked more than you probably get asked about. Tell me, what is your background? Like, how did you end up in this space? Going right back to 2001. So I used to work for Newcastle Building Society, running a number of their subsidiary companies or being part of the board and founding members of their subsidiary companies, specialising in providing technology solutions before fintech existed, really, into the banking sector. So what years was that? that uh, like 1800. <laughs> I started in 97, but really took off just pre 2000. So, this, you know, we were providing online savings management platforms for the likes of Alliance and Le- oh, like Leicester, wow. Santander. Do you remember the Icelandic bank invasion? Oh, we yes. did those. So, that's what we built our, our kind of outsourced service provision on. We were delivering a debit card, which was actually on the old Maestro brand back oh, in the day. Oh, my gosh. Oh, remember well, the switch, Maestro? The Switch. The Switch. switch yeah. Maestro the little green. green yeah, yeah. That uh, lo- looks a bit like the. Uh, the, the sign for contactless now. Exactly. And there was a delay in that uh, implementation on the on the scheme side. And at the time, we were approached by MasterCard and said, hey, guys, have you heard of this thing called BIN sponsorship? We think it's going to be big. Would you be interested? And we issued the first branded MasterCard prepaid card in the UK for the Bullring Shopping Centre back in oh, 2001. Oh, yeah, the Bullring, I remember. And then it just grew and grew and grew. That business then eventually was sold to Wirecard in 2010. And that's when I moved over to Transact. 
primarily because they were they also had their own platform behind that. They were able to kind of white label the PM layer, mm-hmm. which I think there was a big demand for it back in those days. Now, obviously, things have matured since then. And um, so we've kind of gone back into the componentized service offering where we're the bin sponsor. And we bring in partners for, who provide the expertise across the the other bit. So of the you sort of modulized chain. your services. We have. And uh, right now, we under our e-money permissions, we do debit, credit, prepaid. We also do non-card-based services. We also do B2B payments on the banking networks. Uh, we've got a private bank working with us. We've got a big challenger brand, uh, brand out of the Netherlands with ABN that comes to us under a sponsorship pace and we still work with what would be the traditional program manager type entities but right now the uniqueness of our business is we work with more regulated businesses as clients of ours than non-regulated businesses and when we've tested the waters against the market we understand from schemes from processes that we deal with that we're pretty unique in the space in that in, in that in that kind of niche area of supporting yeah, yeah. regulated companies who say so banks and the like banks uh, e- EMIs PIs. PIs and now the new one is uh, DLT companies with the new licensing oh, so, framework so around we're going to say this about so Gibraltar is, is known for its innovation in the whole financial services sector and they've always been trying to, to push ahead but this whole thing on distributed ledger and uh, Bitcoin blockchain tell us a bit about how you, you work with the regulator on that is it this something that you see as a, a something that's going to grow I think there's, it's still early stage from my point of view as a regulated product, but I think the regulation is needed for the, for the level of maturity that the product needs to, to have, as in cryptocurrencies as a, as a form of mainstream product and currency going forward or a, a value of exchange going forward really does need regulation around it. Gibraltar, you're right, have probably been the innovators in, in the framework that they've built for DLT. We were part of a few workshops with the regulator at the time, and they brought Sean in, who's Excellent yeah. in terms of the experience she That's brings. Sean Jones. Sean Jones, yeah. yeah. She's she's I think been very good for the FSC to to really kind of get their heads around how best to regulate this area. It's very, very unique in its in the types of use cases, so you can't really have one framework fits all. And I think they're dealing with those challenges. From our perspective, being in Gibraltar, we're getting getting approached by a lot of these operators, as they establish in, in Jib and start to build their their teams from a regu- as a regulated firm, and we're helping with finding partners for banking, payment solutions. Some guys want to do card solutions linked to that. There's not necessarily a solution that we can provide in all cases, but we have quite a huge partner network, so we can often uh, connect people through to help them out. Now. One thing, Robert, actually, because I know that you know you love using acronyms, and you said DLT. Can you explain me what DLT is? Because he's a very famous DJ from Radio One. Dave Lee Travis is is his full name, and uh, and he's recently somehow got into this whole blockchain thing. I thought he was more of a Steve Coogan character. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he he was probably the uh, the the forerunner. But we should dive into the bin of confusion. Okay, let me go. go Let me go in. Oh, okay. Korea, are you seeing any signs of what Brexit will mean? Wow. That's quite a deep question from the bin of confusion. That's such an open-ended question as things stand right now. We don't know what kind of Brexit we're going to end up with. Is it going to be a hard one? What is the partial 
potential deal that gets broken. So I do think that there's no real time to go back and rebroker a deal. But who knows? The EU um, have been specialists in last minute deals, right? They like taking it to the wire. So this is nothing unusual. But in terms of predicting where we get, I tell you, the only thing I can predict is yeah. that we don't like the uncertainty. Our clients definitely don't like the uncertainty. So we're moving ahead with an application in Malta so that we have coverage irrespective of what happens come March. And, you know, there's a part of me that hopes that there is amicable solution that, that is reached that um, keeps the UK happy, but also so keeps Europe another happy. sunny jurisdiction in case it gets a bit chilly in well, Gibraltar, you, know, guys, you can you get know, a bit more sun in Malta. I'm just trying to give you options to come out and visit. Me, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think we should probably do a beach episode over in, uh, in Gibraltar or Malta with you when, when, you, when you're there, definitely. There was a decision yesterday of the European Court of Justice, I think, that there, there was an announcement from the Attorney General or something to say that a no-Brexit deal, uh, they've got until like the last day, yeah. the 29th yeah. of March, we can still not go ahead with it. That's right, yeah. Do you think that's, that's going to happen? Do you think that's going to happen? I think that's um, a really interesting move played by, by the EU side of the fence, if you like. Well, it, it was that. six Scottish ministers that put the proposition forward yeah. to the attorney general and got a and it's not it's a non-binding decision yes well it's it's an interesting one in that i'd be shocked if that would happen i mean i think it makes a mockery of the democratic process that led to the referendum in the first place and i don't i think the backlash would be huge personally as you know you know as, as we all work in this sector we know how important the passporting rights and servicing the wider mm. eea and eu is so from a business perspective, you know, I, I respect those who made the decision to leave. But personally, you know, I think it's it's just doubling up effort and resource and cost from an issuer perspective. But nonetheless, we're committed to that and we move forward. Uh, this, that's all we can do. And I'm sure you're doing the same, Robert. Of and, course. And you've but got the easier end of the stick, Suresh. I mean, yeah, being a no, processor. What, where yeah, where no is there regulation yeah, yeah. around <laughs> processes? Oh, for God's sake. We should, we should do, do the tech. Why didn't we do the reg side? I know. We should have done the tech. I know. <laughs> but this episode could go out after the 11th. So when this episode go out, we might already know that Theresa May's deal has been signed off by Parliament. So should we predict what's going to happen here then? Who we, thinks we're going to have a sign-off of the deal? I think we are going to have a sign-off. I think we won't. Come Will March. there be a general election before March? Yes. I'd be surprised if there's a general election. Will there be a second referendum? I would Ooh, love that. There's, there's, I, I think there's a really there strong chance of that. One thing about the British British public is that you know there's a respect of democracy, and this maybe slaps in in the face of that. You know there was a decision made, and you can't keep going back to a vote until you get the answer you want. Um, I mean, let's the Irish. The Irish had three referendums on a, yeah, a topic they, until but, they got the answer they but, wanted. But I think this is the thing. So the Irish Irish public were used to the referendum process. I don't think the British public were, no. and so this is really hard to kind of go into such a big decision and expect the public to well, be it was able first to make, referendum. I think we'd ever had exactly. So it's quite challenging to turn around and say. But you know, the British public should be informed enough to be able to deal with the the, the, the consequences. Consequence, yeah, of something that nothing. They know a lot more about it now than they do. Of course, yeah. So a second one makes absolute sense. You know that that may maybe is something that breeds a trend for future referendums on the basis that uh, the things that happened first time round cannot happen again on both sides. Really, to be fair. Well, let's dive back in the bit of confusion. And let's right, let's see. Oh, I've got a, a bit of a more fun question here, Korea. If we if we were to visit you in in Gibraltar and uh, go for one of your amazing barbecues, what what would be your typical barbecue that you would be able to put out for a, a vegetarian like Suresh, a <laughs> me, me, bit of a meat eater like me, 
Take your pick, gents, right? So, from my perspective, well, firstly, I can't have a barbecue in my apartment because I have a lovely, lovely balcony, but uh, ah. I need I need clearance from the fire brigade okay. to, to do so it. So, we would need to do but it outside your we apartment. Have a, we have a balcony in our office. Ah. Well, we did. We've just moved office, but we would have barbecues out there all the time. And we've got vegans, we've got vegetarians, we've got uh, meat eaters, we've got fussy eaters in our office, and we cater to them all. Yeah. So, how about some Argentinian steak Ooh, for that you, sounds Robert? Good. Suresh, how about some grilled aubergines and courgettes, vegetable kebabs? Yeah, it's improving. You know? I, was, uh, I was a bit disappointed what, to start. What about yeah, I don't like aubergine either. <laughs> what, what about some provolette melted on the on the barbecue, which is the cheese you can dip some bread in? It's See, this is Robert, Lee, because it's, like, it's posh names and posh cheese. This is Robert, you know. Yeah, he, me, he, you he, give me with some good hey, hey, it's cheddar. Not, it's not posh. That's the equivalent of in Spain of, of cheddar. I've You'll got, love it I, anyway. I've got one question. It's kind of for both of you. Yeah. It's about crypto. I yep. mean, what's what's the deal with with crypto? You know, Gibraltar regulator, Robert FCA, UK reg- regulator. What's the you know what's your views on crypto? I think it's here to stay. I think it's got plenty of evolving cycles to go through, just as e-money did. From if you look at day one and where we ended up with day one, it was mostly gift cards, non-reloadable, and now look what we're doing. We're doing some fantastic stuff. So I think, from my perspective, there's some evolution to go through. I think regulating. Certain use cases using the blockchain of, of which cryptocurrency forms part is definitely important. And this is about giving consumer confidence, but actually also the more, more some of the use cases we're seeing, which are much more powerful and more compelling, is using using it as a vehicle for institutional investment. I think that's huge. I, really I, I, I think the blockchain has got a long way to go. I think we're starting to get the schemes to understand it better. I think using our... KYC, our compliance and regulation to make sure that the, the source of the funds within the, the coins when they're issued is, is fair. So it hasn't been on the dark web. Yeah. It hasn't been used for ransomware and things like that. I think with all those things coming through, it gives issuers like us the ability to offer these new programs. Yeah. And I think so long as we do it sensibly uh, and in line with what is the best in breed of compliance which both of us can do i think it's 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 the way forward i don't, I don't think anything's going to change it i think bitcoin dipping at the moment is is just part of its life cycle but people will still want to to play with these coins as they come in and out and i think if we can facilitate a means of them liquidating those and then putting the fiat currencies onto a card then i, I think there's there's a market for it I definitely think there is. It's, it's hugely underserved at the moment. Um, and e-money historically has played an important part in filling that underserved gap. And I don't see why that's any different here. What I do like is the DLT licensing approach that certain jurisdictions are taking, including Gibraltar. I'm incredibly proud to be you know, associated with what's taking place there. My biggest concern about it is I keep losing employees to these DLT firms. But actually, on a positive note, that means that there's good people going into these businesses with good financial services background, and that can only be a good thing. And I think, I think with the advent of these stable coins coming through, which to me are going to be electronic money, if yeah. it's a stable coin, it's yeah. got to be money, they're going to have to be regulated. Yeah. So I, I think there, there's, there's a lot of opportunity to use the blockchain for the good. I think that'd be good for the whole market. And, and, and the financial services industry is crying out for the utilization of smart contracts in certain places. Exactly. You know, uh, asset asset handovers need need that uh, that full um, security of knowing exactly who's done what when, without having the historic issues that financial services exactly. have witnessed with sort of some corruptive behaviour in that area. So. And with that, I think that's well, your. I was your, just going to your... say that I know listeners are thinking this is an April Fool's joke, but it's not. We do have two issuers on the podcast recording that agree that crypto is here to stay and they're both crypto friendly, which is rare. 
So thank you very much, Kriya. We really appreciate you coming. But next thank time you. we're going to do it on a barbecue on your terrace for your business. And Suresh and I will be there with us on screen. Okay. Thank you.